That's what I want to talk about this morning from Luke chapter 6. We're going to start with verse 39. And this is our Lord and Master Jesus teaching. And, and uh, before I start, I want to introduce my guest. First of all, I want to introduce my brown sugar for 38 years, Miss Linda over there. Yep. And uh, just, uh, yeah. Just, uh, God knew what I needed, and he shall provide it. Uh, and then we have the Dyes, Brian and Heidi Dye from Chicago. And they, uh, they lead a ministry there called uh, Legacy Disciple. You'll look it up online. Uh, it's an amazing ministry. I have some of my sons and daughters from Nepal, uh, Dr. Anand and Chiri, Chiri, uh, Tamang from Nepal. And they've come here to be with us. And then we have Edward and uh, Eva Najuki. Najuki. Yeah, I think I got it right that time. I've been practicing. So they're here with us, and it's just a blessing to have them here with me. And, and if I came to talk to you about discipling and disciple-making and didn't have disciples, it would only be a concept. It would only be a concept. I had a good conversation with a young man this morning, and, and we were talking, and I had to ask him the question because he's setting up a disciple-making meeting for us. And, and I said, uh, do you have any disciples? He says, well, I'm trying. I said, no, let me ask you again. Do you have any disciples? And he came to the conclusion of no. So it's going to be hard for him to understand what we're trying to do if you don't have disciples yourself. And discipling is not an option in the Word of God. In the Great Commission, he doesn't call us. He commands us to make disciples. And it's an imperative mood verb to make disciples in the Great Commission. It's not optional. Just like sharing your faith and proclaiming the gospel is not optional. When he says, go therefore and preach the gospel, proclaim the gospel to all nations, that's a command. It's not optional. So could it be we're not experiencing God's pleasure in our life? Could it be that we're not really experiencing God's power? Could it be that we're like something is more, there's got to be something more to my walk in Christ than what's happening now? Could it be because we're not walking in what he's commanded us to do. We're not called to make disciples. We're commanded. And see, calls are nebulous. You have someone this week say, I'm called to do that. You see them a year later, they're being called to something else, right? So God must have hung up on that call and made another one. No. Commands always override calls. Commands are universal Universal, in duration, and absolute. Absolute. Commands are absolute. Commands don't change. So we're commanded to make disciples. And we're commanded to share our faith, to share the good news of the gospel. Those are commands. And we'll have to answer to God for what we have done with his commands. So let's look at Luke 640. And let's see what the Lord has laid out as probably one of the greatest leadership patterns that we have in our word. We have all these leadership gurus. We have leadership books written by the, by the score, by the hundreds every year. 
And it would seem like if one person had the leadership thing down, one book would be enough, right? It's like time management. Every year there are 50 books written on time management. It would seem like if there was any such thing as a balance of time, one book would have been enough. And I'm not sure balance of time is what we should be looking at. I think priority of time is what we should be looking at. What is the priority? Where should priority go in our time? What, what should our time be prioritized like? And I think you'll be better off if you look at how do you prioritize your time and, uh, and work from that perspective. But let's look at Luke 6, verse 39. And he says, and he also spoke to his disciples. And if you look at Luke 6, verse 20, there's a crowd around him. But then it says he turned his gaze toward his disciples. So right here, he's addressing disciples. He's addressing disciples right here. And he said unto them in a parable, A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they both not fall into a pit? Now, then he says in verse 40, A pupil is not above the teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be just like the teacher. Now, he starts this with a parable. Now, that comes from the word parabole. And what that means is parabole means para means alongside. Bole means to cast or to throw. So a parable is a human earthly narrative or story thrown aside a moral truth to convey a spiritual message. So a parable is a human narrative or story cast or thrown aside a moral truth to convey a spiritual meaning. That's what a parable is. And when they told parables in their culture, you ought to find yourself as a person, place, object, or thing in that parable. And when you find yourself in that parable, you are immediately to see what are you to do to obey that parable or what that parable has spoken to you or where you have found yourself in that parable. So they weren't just told as stories for us to enjoy. They were told as stories to find yourself here. And then, how do I obey what I see myself as being in this parable? So first of all, he says, a student is not above the teacher. So he's talking about a student or a pupil. Now, if you study in this context, he's talking about a disciple. This would be the word disciple. Because Jesus is speaking from a rabbi. He was a rabbi. The term teacher or master is a term used for him more than any other term in the Bible, more than any other phrase. So he's a rabbi and he's speaking from a rabbionic perspective and that's the lens we have to look at as we look at this scripture, this parable, or we'll miss it. So as a rabbi, he says, a pupil or a student. Now, he's talking about a disciple. A mathetase. Now, that's different from a student as what we call it today. Now, a student today will go to a class. They'll study a lesson. They'll take a test. 
And then they'll forget about the material. They'll put it away. They'll sell their books back. They'll forget about that. They're done with that. And they move on to the next lesson to study, to take the next test, to forget about that one, and then to do the same over and over for an entire college career. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about a mathetase. That's a disciple, a learner, an adherent, an apprentice, someone who adheres themselves to the rabbi, to walk with the rabbi, to become like the rabbi. And in this stage in the ministry of Jesus, they did their learning orally. They didn't have iPads, iPhones. They didn't have things where it was written down. They learned the scripture orally. And so it was a culture of repetition, repeating. And repetition is the key to learning, retaining, and confidence. Repetition. So that's how they learned. Repetition, repetition. Jesus taught his main teachings, according to John Stewart of Edinburgh, who studied this, over 500 times each. Now, if Pastor Steve or Pastor Mike preach one message, y'all good with it. If he preaches two, which we do on Sunday, that's okay. But if he says, I'm going to preach this same message for the next three months, then some of y'all will show up for a month, and some of you will say, well, I'm not showing up next month because I've heard that before. And then by the third month, ain't going to mind they're going to be here, but the church staff, because they need to be here, they got to be here, and their families. Everybody else is going to say, man, I don't need to hear that again. But my question to you is, after three months, could you repeat that message verbatim what they said? That's what Jesus was doing in repetition with his disciples and with those around him. They learned orally. So they had to hear it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times in order to repeat it. And if he hadn't done it that way, we would not have the New Testament as we have it today. So let me ask you this, IEC. How many messages have they preached? Can you right now stand right here and reproduce and re-say it? If you can't, you're not working in the pattern of disciple-making as what Jesus did. Now, don't take my word for this. Some of you have never met me. You've never talked to me. You don't know me. Don't take my word for this. Go look at it for yourself. Go look at it for yourself. I don't teach from notes. I got an outline here just to make sure I stay in my time frame because I could do this all day. That's why I got outlines here. But I've memorized every single one of the talks I do around the globe. This is my 141 trip outside the United States, training pastors and leaders around the globe. And I don't have notes. I don't have anything written down. I memorize everything I teach and preach and train in. Because I'm not trying to show out. I just want to be like Jesus. I just want to be like a disciple of Jesus. And you know where it's benefited me? I'm going blind, and this has come right on time for me. <laughs> right on time for me. So he's talked about a special kind of pupil, a special kind of student, a mathetase, a learner. And the etymology of that word mathetase comes from the word mathetuo, 
which means someone who does everything necessary in order to learn and understand. Someone who does everything necessary in order to learn and understand. This is what he's talking about right here. This is what he's talking about. He's talking about a student who started in the Jewish day school at five or six years old, studying under the rabbis. Rabbis were their teachers. And they memorized, they memorized the Torah, the first five books of your Bible, many by the age 11. Is that amazing or what? The way they learned their alphabets, they memorized Psalms 119. There are 22 Hebrew letters in the alpha, in Hebrew alphabet, 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Psalms 119 has 22 sections, and each section has a Hebrew alphabet that leads it, and each section has eight verses that goes with that alphabet. So for every alphabet that they learn, they learn eight verses. And that's no different from us. We memorized before we knew how to read. We memorized our alphabet before we knew what it was and what to do with it. So we can memorize, we can learn that way, but that's how they started. Guess what was probably the second book they memorized? The book of Leviticus. Imagine that. That's the book we spend the less time in, but it's the greatest book you got in your Bible on worship. So they had a culture of memorization. Now these kids went to school from five or six years old up until about 14 or 15, and then they could request to follow a rabbi. And then they would follow a rabbi for 15 years, and age 30 they could become a rabbi themselves. So some of these students had 24 years of schooling and learning in that fashion under rabbi in their schooling system And this is Jesus' pattern for building leadership. This is the kind of student and pupil he's calling for in disciple making. This is what he's calling for and asking and looking for for those who want to be disciples. And if I was to ask you, IEC, how many scriptures could we knock out right now? How many scriptures could we knock out right now? I want to encourage you, become a memorizer of God's word. If you want to be a disciple like Christ's disciples. Disciple making was their higher education. They didn't have Bible schools and seminaries. Disciple making was their higher education in that day and culture. It was their higher education. And these were young folks who walked with someone who they wanted to model their life after and be like. So he's talking about a special kind of pupil here. But it doesn't mean it's a pupil that we ourselves cannot be like if we put in the effort. You see, when I was in high school, I was a terrible student. As a matter of fact, I had one teacher call the class up and had them vote on whether I should pass that class or not. Ain't that something? It's terrible stuff. I had one guidance counselor who said, you know, you're not a very good student. 
you probably need to go to the military if you're going to make it. So this guidance counselor walked me and my friend out the front door of the school. We waved bye. He went back in. We went around the back of the school and went back into the school. Then I had a chance to go to college. I was on a baseball scholarship. I got to college. Then I began to take studying a little more serious. I had some teachers who really loved me. They really gave time. They looked at me as uh, someone who had worth and value. And I began to really learn and study and began to make honor roll and those kind of things in college uh, as a student. Because there was someone who believed in me, someone who saw my potential, someone who saw that I had the potential that I could do it and challenged me to do it. That's what a disciple maker can do for us. I walked with a man for 30 years, 30 years as a disciple. Over 29,000 hours up close and personal. But he built something into me that showed me that I could accomplish the things that God put in front of me to do. So you need someone who believes in you, who believes you can accomplish these things. I talked to some people, and uh, many times people, they, they're capable, they're equipped. God's got them ready. And they'll come with this thing of, you know, I don't know how to do it. I don't know if I'm ready or whatever. I said, man, cut that out. Just stop it. God has you ready. He has you capable. He has you equipped. He has you ready for a time like this. Walk in it and watch what he does. Just walk in it and watch what he does. So first we see Jesus says a student or a pupil is not above the teacher. So the next thing we see is there's a posture here in this leadership equipping and training. There's a posture, there's a position, and it's not above the teacher. Now, that word not above is the word hooper. Hooper means to be chief in front of, to set yourself chief and in front of someone. Above a chief and in front of. So Jesus says this pupil, this leadership model is that someone does not set themselves in front of or become chief or lead out in front of the teacher who they're walking with. They have to come under. And this sometimes is the hardest thing for us to do is come under leadership. Come under leadership. We have a thing now where everybody wants to be independent about everything. But Jesus says for leadership to happen and for this pattern to happen, you have to come under. That's what he says here. You have to come under. You have to posture yourself under the teacher, not in front of, but under the teacher. And because they postured themselves so long under the teacher, and if they get out of this process of posturing themselves under the teacher and get in front of the teacher, then that's where the parable comes in. Can the blind lead the blind? Or will they not both fall into the ditch? In other words, if a person comes out from under the posture of being trained and taught by this teacher and they come out of this process, somewhere down the line there will be blind spots for them. Somewhere down the line they will miss out on something they really need in their walk in Christ and they'll be blind in that area and they will lead others into the ditch with them. 
So for 30 years, with this old white man. Now the reason why I said that is I grew up 45 minutes from where the Ku Klux Klan started. I know what that oppression and that kind of stuff is. I know what it is firsthand. I know what it is. I know what it is to be riding through and seeing cross burn in a field and have to get in the floorboard of the car of my teammates who were white to get us on through that road. I know what all that is. I know what it is to be riding your bike down the road and when you see this certain group of people coming, you get off your bike and get in the bushes and hide till they come on by. And then I went to college and God gave me a Jewish roommate and a white roommate. I didn't like white folk. I didn't. And then in our culture, we were taught also, you don't trust Jewish people. And God gave me a white roommate and a Jewish roommate. And they would take me to their home. And their parents would treat me just like I was one of their own sons. Both of them. I go to the Jewish friend's house and put on a little hat, eat the kosher. They treat me just like I was their own son. At that point, I said, God, I can't put everybody in the same category as these folks I see around my town. I got to look at these people individually. I can't put them in a general category. And then when God saved me, he said, Sue, you want to be a great commission Christian? You want to be obedient under my lordship? I said, yes, Lord. He says, you're going to have to deal with some of your heart and some of your racial prejudice issues because I'm about all tithes, I'm about all nations, all people groups, all ethnicities. I said, okay, Lord. And he said, Sue, the son of the Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan is just as much your responsibility with the gospel as your own son in your own home. I said, all right, Lord. And he began to deal with my heart on those issues. And if you look at my group of, 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 of young men that I have around me that I've had a chance to influence, they're of all ethnicities, white, many, many white ones, because that's the work that God did. And it's because I came under, I came under for 30 years under the training and equipping of an old white man from Arkansas named Brother Herb Hodges. And not one time, not one time could anyone say, and he would say himself, not one time did Soup ever rebel against the process that I had him in for training. And if you know me, I ain't gonna be nobody's boy. If you know me, and not one time in that 30 years under his training did I lose my identity as a black man, did I lose my identity as who I was, did I lose my personality. Not one time was that challenged because if it had, I'd have been out of there. So I know what this looks like. I know what this looks like. But if I hadn't stayed in that process, I would not be before you right here today. I would not be around others around the globe. They would not be here with me today. 
the Raymond Gallows would not be here with me. It wouldn't have happened. I would have forfeited all that. So position is one under the teacher. So if we're commanded to make disciples, inherent in that, you got to be a disciple. Because disciple making is not something you do, it's something you be. Because something you do, you can start, stop, start, stop, you categorize it. But when it's something you be, it's what you do all the time. It's a part of your lifestyle. It's just who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. So you position yourself to become, to be. So if we're commanded to be a disciple, I want to encourage you. I want to do more than encourage you. I want to let you know what you need to do is find someone who you can surrender your life to, walk with them, walk under their leadership to become what they are in Christ. And that ain't easy. So make sure you get the right person. Pray about it. Watch them. If you want to do what Jesus says do. And he positions himself under a teacher. And the two main jobs of the teacher was number one, was to interpret the scriptures and walk it out. To interpret the scriptures and walk it out. It's called a halakha. So a disciple would get under a teacher and he would walk with that teacher in that teacher's halakha. And a halakha in Hebrew means you walk out what is interpreted and you see your teacher walking out. So first we see the pupil. He says, the pupil is not above the teacher. But when he is fully trained, now we see the process. When he's fully trained, that's the word katartizo. Katartizo. Katar means to bring oneself under. Artizo is the word artisan. And it means a skilled craftsperson, a master at their trade. So to be fully equipped means to bring yourself under someone who is a master at their craft to become just like that master at their craft. To adjust oneself under, to become just like. And that means a pursuit of time. It means a lot of with me. Damon Ridden Megallo back there, he came to Memphis. And, and uh, you know, Damon is smart, smart, smart. And uh, he and his wife, Heidi, just, and he just, he's smart. And uh, he says, you know, I, I want to I be discipled. I said, well, I don't have a job for you, but I can give you all the time you want. So this man came and worked part-time jobs, stayed at my house with me a lot, rode in the truck with me a lot. We spent thousands and thousands and thousands of hours. That's what discipline is. He pursued my schedule. And today, I am very seldom in Memphis, Tennessee, very seldom at home. 
probably out of last year or when COVID eased up and we start traveling, we've only been home probably a good month. But my disciples, they've got my schedule all the way out to 2024. You know what they do? They find out their schedule. They look and they say, hey, he's here, he's here, he's here. Hey, I'm going to show up there and be with him. I'm going to show up those three days. I'm going to be with him. I got some time off from work. I'm going to be with him. Oh, I can go on this trip with him. I'm going to be with him 24-7 for eight days. Oh, I see he's at home. Hey, Soup, you need somewhere to go? You need a driver? Yeah, man, I need to go to Walmart. I'll pick you up and get you there. And we just ride to Walmart. We stop and eat. We walk down the aisles. We look at stuff. We're talking about life. We're talking about the word. We're talking about marriage. We're talking about raising kids. We're just in the flow of life getting with me time. And it's out there in the flow of life where they really get to see who I am, how I operate among people. And the greatest accountability I have to my spiritual growth and walk and sanctification in Christ is having somebody trail me who's becoming like me. So if I got somebody trailing me who's becoming like me, I had better be becoming like who, church? I remember one time I went to pay a bill, had a disciple with me. And uh, I didn't talk nice to the lady who's receiving the money. I was very mean. I didn't talk nice to her. And I was leaving, got in the truck, and I was driving. Holy Spirit said that disciple saw that. I said, man. Turned around, went back, got in the long line, probably 45 minutes walking the line. Disciple just with me, just didn't know what was happening. I got it back up to the window. I said, ma'am, I am so sorry. I shouldn't have talked to you or addressed you like that. I'm a Christ follower. He would not be pleased with the way I addressed you. So will you please forgive me for my words and my actions? She said, no one's ever done that before. What made you do that? And I shared the gospel with her. Who got to see that? Come on, church. Who got to see that? And if I had, had, if I had not had a disciple with me, I probably would have disobeyed the Holy Spirit, and went all the way home justifying my action. But by having a disciple, that's been the key to my spiritual growth in Christ. That if I got somebody trailing me to become like me, then I had better be becoming like Christ. When young folks call me and they're like, man, I'm not growing, I'm struggling in my walk, I don't say, are you studying your Bible? Are you having a quiet time? Are you memorizing scriptures? Are you fasting and praying? I don't ask those questions. You know what question I ask them? Do you have a disciple? It solves all that. Disciples keep you from staying in the valley. Because if you stay in the valley, what are they going to do? Where are they going to be if you're in the valley? Come on, talk to me. They're going to be in the valley with you. It keeps you going. And you may plateau, but you say, man, I got folks trailing me. I better get back climbing. It always keeps you growing. Always keeps you growing. So the process is to get under and get with someone who's walking a victorious walk in Christ. And the greatest thing my disciple maker did for me was be transparent and let me see his blind spots. I kept following and I just observed and watched his blind spots. And he was a man after God's own heart. I saw him correct them. Guess what I needed? That's what I know how to do now. I know how to correct my blind spots by watching him correct his. Had a young man one time, he says, hey, 
Uh, best thing I ever did was live with a couple for nine months. He was all excited. I said, did you ever see that couple fuss and argue? He says, no. I said, you wasted nine months. You didn't get to see what you really need to see. I said, did they ever have a disagreement? He says, yeah. I said, what'd they do? He said, went to the back room, closed the door. I said, then what? He said, I don't know. I said, aren't you getting married in three months? Yes, sir. Do you think you'll ever have a disagreement with your wife? Yes, sir. What you gonna do? Go to the back room. Then what? We don't know. So the best thing you can do in making disciples is live a life transparent before folks. Let them see your rough edges, but then let them see you corrected. Have y'all seen me and Linda get in a disagreement? Yes, they have. Have you seen me correct them? Right there, I call folks up, hey, y'all, you just saw me address Linda in the wrong way. I want to apologize to y'all. I repented to her, and I just want y'all to know I got that corrected. Y'all see me corrected? So disciple-making has to be lived authentically before folks. I wonder if that's one reason young folks are not flocking to our fellowships. You see, we can, a husband and wife or a couple can argue and fuss, not even talk to each other, not say a word to one another, all the way to the church for days. Get to the church building. Get to the usher. Put that smile on. Greet them. Hey, how y'all doing? And what do we say, y'all? Life can be raggedy as all get out. The usher say, how y'all doing? What do we say? I'm fine. Hallelujah. We blessed and highly flavored. We good. And then we come in here, raise our hands. Praise him. Hallelujah. Greet folks. All happy like. And then we walk out that door, turn our back, and go back to the frown and not talk to each other for days. Young folks see that? They see that? They see if we don't live authentically. They don't want to be a part of nothing that's authentic. And this ought to be the place where we can be the most real with one another. And where I'm from, this hour right here is probably one of the most fake hours in the whole nation. And folks don't want to be a part of it. But in disciple making, about time, am I over? <laughs> in disciple making, you must live authentic before those disciples. And then the last thing, first thing we see, there's a pupil. Next thing we see, there's a position. The hooper, not the hooper, but to come under. We see there's a process to get under a master to become and do and know how to do what that master does. Then there's a product. The product is that when they get under that master craftsperson discipline, they will become like the teacher. And you can summarize disciple making in pretty much two words and that's become like. Become like. They will become like the teacher. And that begins that multiplying process 
when they become like the teacher. Because the teacher has already got disciples who's multiplying under them, then they will become like the teacher and they will have multiplying disciples. Because it's all wrapped up in the word, Mathetusite. Great Commission. Mathetusite. Math, mathematics, multiplication. Atusite, to turn someone into something is your worry for make disciples. So we are to turn folks into multipliers. Now, has Africa done a good job biologically with the command when God says, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth? Has Africa done a good job with that? Come on, talk to me, Africa. Have you done a good job on that one? Biologically, you've done a great job on that one. The Great Commission is God's spiritual multiplication command. He wants us to spiritually multiply disciples, Africa, just like you have biologically multiplied offspring. That's what he wants. And I see, I hope that your testimony will be that as I travel the world, I'll run into people and they're influenced by what comes out of this place. That's what my desire, my hope, and my prayer is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word. Thank you for the people here, your servants, your warriors, um, your disciples. I pray that this, what we talked about this morning from your word will register in our hearts and that we will go and investigate what does it mean to be obedient in following your commission, your command, being a pupil, uh, positioning ourselves under a master, surrendering to a process, and that our product will be one that you be pleased and you say, well done, good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name, amen.